reading from the book of Genesis. Now there was no food in all the land, for the famine was very severe, so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished by reason of the famine. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan in exchange for the grain that they bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. And when the money was all spent in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us food. Why should we die before your eyes? For our money is gone. And Joseph answered, Give your livestock, and I will give you food in exchange for your livestock if your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and Joseph gave them food in exchange for the horses, the flocks, the herds, and the donkeys. He supplied them with food in exchange for all their livestock that year. And when that year was ended, they came to him the following year and said to him, We will not hide from my Lord that our money is all spent. The herds of livestock are my Lord's. There is nothing left in the sight of my Lord but our bodies and our land. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for food, and we with our land will be servants to Pharaoh. And give us seed that we may live and not die, and that the land may not be desolate." So Joseph brought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh, for all the Egyptians sold their fields because the famine was severe on them. The land became Pharaoh's. As for the people, he made servants of them from one end of Egypt to the other. Only the land of the priests he did not buy, for the priests had a fixed allowance from Pharaoh and lived on the allowance that Pharaoh gave them. Therefore, they did not sell their land. Then Joseph said to the people, Behold, I have this day bought you and your land for Pharaoh. Now here is seed for you, and you shall sow the land. And at the harvests you shall give a fifth to Pharaoh, and four-fifths shall be your own, as seed for the field and as food for yourselves and your households, and as food for your little ones. And they said, You have saved our lives. May it please my Lord, we will be servants to Pharaoh. So Joseph made it a statute concerning the land of Egypt. And it stands to this day that Pharaoh should have the fifth, and the land of the priests alone did not become Pharaoh's. Thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they gained possessions in it, and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt seventeen years. So the days of Jacob, the years of his life, were 147 years. And when the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, put your hand under my thigh and promise to deal kindly and truly with me. Do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. Carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. He answered, I will do as you have said. And he said, Swear to me. And he swore to him. Then Israel bowed himself upon the head of his bed. The word of the Lord. All right, good morning. Hey, it's good to be with you. My name is Drew. I'm the pastor of discipleship. Again, congrats to our graduates. That's amazing. Love it. Um, so encouraging to see what uh, Cody, his team, Molly, and her team are doing with children all the way up through students and graduation. And today, as we dive into this message, just let me say at the outset, this is as much for you as it is for anybody today, graduates, as you uh, head into a new season. Um, I want to start today by thanking you for just your love and kindness, um, even to Laura and I last week as we shared some of our journey toward parenting and some of the ups and downs in that. We had a lot of great follow-up conversations on Sunday and, and pouring over into Monday and throughout the week. And as I was looking at this passage today that you just heard read, 
um, it, it really made me realize and brought it into um, focus that life is just messy. This isn't a bombshell statement. You know this. But a life is messy. Um, we have different seasons and circumstances that pop up and show us this, that no, no matter how hard we try, there are going to be times when we find ourselves in a place of need. And sometimes that need is even a desperate need. It's something we didn't expect. Sometimes it's a need that no amount of money can fix, that no amount of doing the right thing could prevent, that no amount of preparation could stop. And in these seasons and circumstances, they come at at all different times throughout our life. They pop up in so many different ways at ages and stages. Maybe you can relate with one of these. A marriage, you hit a roadblock, or even that relationship starts to break down. A decision that seems impossible to make. A new chapter, thinking about our seniors, of life that feels completely foreign. You find yourself in need. A loss that leaves a wound that seems too large to heal. Bills that keep piling up and you find yourself in practical need. A good desire that goes unmet. A chronic issue that leaves you feeling worn down. A a diagnosis that you didn't expect and that can seem and feel overwhelming. A sin that seems too strong to overcome. A past that continues to haunt you in different ways. Broken or strained relationships that you're not sure exactly how those go back together or what to do. Or maybe it's a crossroad that just doesn't feel like it has a clear way forward in your in need. And if this doesn't tap into where you've been, where you are, where you, where you will be, I would say just fill in the blank. What resonates with you here? Because this is an issue for all of humanity. Nobody's exempt from this. We will face times of need, small and incredibly large. And as our first response, we can and do go to a lot of different places at these times. And in these endeavors, if you're anything like me, You're often met with disappointment, disillusion, or at best, a temporary Band-Aid. Why? Because our hearts long for more. Because you were created and wired for more. What you don't need today, what you don't need in a time of need is another motivational speech. You don't need an empty promise. You don't need tough love. You don't need five steps to a better life. What you need is something more. What you need is a better response. What you need is someone more. And in this passage today, in such a clear way, we find that. So let me pray for us, and we're going to dive right in. Jesus, thank you for your word today. Thank you for your love and care for us. You know our hearts. You know where we are today. God, some of us, we find ourselves in incredible need today. We feel desperate, maybe we feel hopeless, maybe we feel helpless. God, for some of us, we find ourselves in a season of great joy today. And and we're just celebrating and we're expectant. At the same time, we know that there will be seasons that come where, where we're in need. And so would you just speak to all of us now, wherever we are, and, and would you prevent pride from stepping in? Would you prevent pushback, and, and would you allow us to have open hearts to what you have for us? We pray all these things, Jesus, in your name. Amen. All right, let us dive into this lengthy passage. Um, this is Genesis 47, starting in verse 13. 
Now there was no food in all the land, for the famine was very severe. So the land of Egypt, land of Canaan, languished by reason of the famine. Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan in exchange for grain that they bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. And when the money was all spent in the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and they said, give us food. Why should we die before your eyes? For our money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and Joseph gave them food in exchange for the horses, for the flocks, the herds, the donkeys. He supplied them with food in exchange for all their livestock that year. And when that year was ended, they came to him the following year and said to him, We won't hide from my Lord. Our money's all spent. The herd of the livestock are now my Lord's. There's nothing left in the sight of my Lord but our bodies and our land. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for food, and we with our land will be servants to Pharaoh and give us seed that we may live and not die, that the land may not be desolate. So real quick, just to backtrack, if you've been uh, going along with us in the story of Joseph, this is important. Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dream that he has. This is years and years prior. Pharaoh has a dream. He needs an interpreter. Joseph is in prison. That's another story. And people are like, hey, there's Joseph, and he interprets dreams. You should allow him to interpret yours. So he does, and here's what he says. He says there's going to be seven years of plenty, prosperity. It's going to be amazing throughout Egypt. And you can think of maybe seasons in your life, right, where it seems like everything's clicking. Family's good. Marriage is good. Job's good. Finances are good. Health is good. How should we respond in those times? With gratitude. Thank goodness for those times. What a gift of God. And Joseph says, though, after the, after the seven, seven years of prosperity, here's what's coming. There's going to be seven years of famine. And it's going to be intense. It's going to be tough. But Joseph shares this plan for how to deal with that seven years. And it's such a good plan that God gives Joseph that Pharaoh says, hey, Uh, you seem like somebody good to put in charge. So I'm going to put you in the number two role. And that's where Joseph finds himself in this time. Here's what's really interesting and what we need to know. The people knew this was coming. They knew seven years of famine was coming. They knew the plan. This wasn't a secret plan that Joseph's like, hey, I'm only telling you, Pharaoh. It's like, no, tell everybody. Here's what you need to do. Here's how you're going to make it through. But they didn't. This made me think that um, this is a time when we really need to be on guard as a follower of Jesus. And you might say, well, why? Things are going good. Because I think it's during these times when things are going really well that we can far too easily become self-reliant. We're like, I'm good. (laughs) I'm good. I can do this. I don't need. I'm fine. On my own. I can make it happen. Matthew Henry says this in, in regards to this passage. He says, if all the Egyptians had laid up corn for themselves in the seven years of plenty... They would not have been in these straits, but they regarded not the warning. They didn't listen. And so things go from bad to worse. Things get desperate. They've already given up their livestock, and now they go back a year later, and they're like, we have nothing. We're about to die. Literally, the only thing we have is our land, which isn't producing, and our very bodies. It's a plea to save us. Otherwise, we're dead. Maybe you've had this season in your life. Maybe, honestly, you're there right now where you just feel desperately in need. You feel somewhat lost. You can call it what you will, 
feeling like you've hit rock bottom, feeling like it's a dark night of the soul and there's doubts and there's questions and there's fears and there's anger. You're not sure which way is up anymore and which way is down. These hard seasons, you feel lost, you feel tired, you feel helpless. This is where the people are in this story at this time. I don't think we can even fully imagine the hardship that they were in. I mean, imagine it. Imagine it even as parents. You're not just going to Joseph to provide for yourself. It's for your kids so that they would survive. It's for grandkids. They're teetering on the desolation of a people here. This is massive, and they can't do it themselves. They finally hit rock bottom. They ignored the way forward, and now they're facing the consequence of it. In desperation, I think we tend to go to one of three places often. We either become very self-reliant. I can do it. I'll figure it out. I'll bring a fix. We can run to other things that we think will bring that fix, whatever that may be. Or we can simply try to numb the pain. Push it away. Go to things that make us just forget about it for a time. Here's the beauty, though. There's a fourth way. It's this. We can run to Jesus. Look at Joseph's response here to the people in their desperation. So Joseph told him to go home, told him, sorry, you messed up, told him, it looks like you're going to die. I'm really sorry. I have nothing for you. No, here's his response. Joseph bought all of the land of Egypt for Pharaoh. For all of the Egyptians sold their fields because the famine was severe on them. The land became Pharaoh's. And for the people, he made servants of them. From one end of Egypt to the other, only the land of the priests he did not buy, for the priests had a fixed allowance from Pharaoh and lived on that allowance Pharaoh gave them. Therefore, he did not sell their land. Then Joseph said to the people, Behold, I have this day bought you and your land for Pharaoh. Here's the seed for you. You shall sow the land, and at the harvest you shall give a fifth to Pharaoh, and four fifths shall be your own, as seed for the field, and as food for yourselves and your households, and as food for your little ones. Joseph could have absolutely let them die, and technically they deserved it. He could have shamed them. What are you guys doing? I told you the way forward. You ignored it. Why didn't you store up crops? He could have turned them into slaves. He once was. He could have gotten a little bit of revenge here and said, I'm going to give you a taste of what I experienced. But he didn't. Instead, he offers them a way out. He offers them a new lease on life. He essentially offers them freedom to become servants. He shows them kindness. You might say, okay, well, what does that have to do with Jesus? Well, I'm glad you asked. Everything. Here's the deal. This is a foreshadowing of us and Jesus. Don't miss it. We were hopeless. We were helpless. We rejected the right way for our own way. We were completely lost and we were content to be lost. We wouldn't listen. We wanted what we wanted, when we wanted it, how we wanted it. We were wandering in the dark. We were wandering in the dark toward the edge of an eternal cliff that we were ready to step over. And just before we do that, the gentle long-suffering, compassionate hand of God reaches down, takes our hand, and says, Son, daughter, don't go this way. Follow me back home. I know the way. I love you far too much to leave you in the dark that you created. It's time to come home. Kindness. 
In our greatest time of need, you are not met with rejection from God. You are not met with pushback from God. You are not met with shame from God. You are not met with condemnation for God. In our times of greatest need and in every other need that falls underneath underneath it, you know what you are met with? You are met with the kindness of Jesus. Yes, you. Because I know some of you are like, not me. Yeah, you. You're like, no, I've rejected him for a long time. I've turned my back on him a long time. I've gone my, yes, you. He's calling you back home. He's calling you to lay down all of your future, all of your needs, all of your wants, all of your unmet desires, all of your pain, all of your wounds, all of the past things that still haunt you. Seniors, he's calling you to lay down the needs that you will have even before they come, to say, I'm going to trust in you with whatever comes because you're not going to reject me and push me away, but you're going to show me immense kindness. I love what Tim Keller says about the gospel. It's beautiful. He says this, the gospel is this, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet, At the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. The people needed more than a temporary solution. They needed a lasting hope, and you and I are in the exact same boat. And so here's the people's response to Joseph's response. They said, you have saved our lives. May it please my Lord, we will be servants to Pharaoh. So Joseph made it a statute concerning the land of Egypt, and it stands to this day that Pharaoh should receive the fifth. The land of the priests alone did not become Pharaoh's. What kindness does is it makes an impression. Um, I think I've shared this before, but a couple weeks after Laura and I got married, I jumped on eBay. I bought a 65 Mustang, and um, I feel like I'm mature enough today to admit that that was a horrible decision. Um, <laughs> This car was not in good shape. I don't know how it made it back from Savannah, Georgia to Atlanta. It didn't actually. We ended up on the road, side of the road twice because of blown out tires. Um, but it was bad. It was real bad. And uh, I quickly realized that I didn't have a ton of money to get this thing to where it needed to be. <laughs> like, I couldn't afford to take it to shops and have them do the work. Um, and so this house that we were living in, uh, that we were renting, it was on this older street, and, and we had these neighbors, this older couple, and there was this man, Mr. Lasco, and he was in his 70s, and through some conversation, he saw the Mustang there, and he obviously saw, I didn't know what I was doing, and so uh, came to realize he actually worked for Ford in the assembly line when these were being put together. What a coincidence. Yay for me. And so, Literally, day after day, week after week, anytime I would go out and I'm tinkering with it or I'm working on it or something's gone wrong, Mr. Lasco would come out his front door. He'd be right there telling me what I was doing wrong, mostly, (laughs) stepping in. Um, But he was there. He didn't have to be. He didn't need to be. He showed me incredible kindness. I remember even coming home some days when he knew I needed a part and he had already gone and bought it. And he can give me a receipt. He was like, we're just doing this today, right? I'm like, yeah, we are. Now, this wasn't some, like, maybe massive thing. It's like, why are you sharing this? Because even just that showing of kindness, it made an impression. It made an impression on me 15 years later. Kindness is powerful, and it's oftentimes underestimated. And so the people's response here, it couldn't be more appropriate. They respond with what? They respond with devotion. They say, we're glad to become Pharaoh's servants, becoming servants of the king who saved them, not out of fear, but out of gratitude. And in the same way, what is it that first leads us to Jesus, that leads us to turn from our old life to new life? 
It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. And his kindness should also lead us to become completely reliant on him and know that nothing is too big or too small of a need to bring it to him, to trust him with it. Now, at this point in the passage, it takes a bit of a turn that may seem a little bit awkward, but it actually goes together in a really beautiful way. Um, Joseph has shown kindness to the people on a large scale as they're in famine. And now Joseph has the opportunity to do the same with his aging father who's approaching his death. Two occasions, but the same heartbeat, all pointing to Jesus. It says, thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen. They gained possessions in it. They were doing well. They were fruitful, and they multiplied greatly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the days of Jacob, the years of his life, were 147 years. I don't have time to get into that, but that's amazing. Uh, When the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph, said to him, if now I have found favor in your sight, put your hand under my thigh and promise to deal kindly and truly with me. This idea of drawing close a son and a father. Hey, I need you to look me in the eyes. This is this one of the, maybe the final conversations he's going to have with his son, who, by the way, he thought was dead for years and years and years. He's saying, I want you to hear me. I want you to listen to me. I want you to draw near to me. Do not bury me here in Egypt. But let me lie with my fathers. Carry me out of Egypt and bury me in the burying place. And he answered, I will do as you have said. And he said, swear to me. And he swore to him. And Israel bowed himself upon the head of his bed. If you've been tracking with us, you know that this family is a mess. Right? Beyond a mess. Brothers are selling a brother into slavery. They're lying about it. Uh, Crazy stuff is happening inside of this family as we track this story. And yet God is faithful. He doesn't reject them. He doesn't push them away. He's faithful to his promise. He shows goodness. He shows kindness to this entire family. Even the fact that they prosper during this time of famine is pretty incredible. He's so kind. They found comfort here. Israel, Jacob, is able to see his son again. This is amazing. And for 17 years, this family flourished. They lived in comfort, but Jacob knew this was not his home. He knew the promise was bigger than this that God had for him. God had promised that Israel would one day occupy Canaan as their own. So with this future promise in view, Jacob was able to look past the comfort and lean into this greater hope from a kind and compassionate God. As John Calvin says in reference to this, this is proof of great courage that none of the wealth or the pleasures of Egypt could allure him or prevent him from longing for the land of Canaan. He's looking ahead to something bigger than himself, something bigger than the here and now. But even in the midst of that, for this to happen, Jacob has to rely fully on Joseph and his kindness. That's why he brings him in. The same kindness that led Joseph to seek to save his family, a family that deserted him, turned his back on him, wanted him for dead, sold him. The same kindness that led Joseph to forgive his brothers years later that sold him into slavery. The same kindness that allowed Joseph to provide for the people of Egypt instead of allowing them to die. The same kindness that now allows him to honor his dad and his wishes. Think about how many times in this journey that we've taken that Joseph was in a time of need. Sold into slavery, uh, wrongly accused, imprisoned, forgotten imprisoned, and yet every single time in his time of need, where does he turn? 
He turns to God, the one who is true, the one who is faithful, the one who is my help and my hope. And I love what Psalm 146 says. It kind of runs parallel with this. Just check this out. It says, put not your trust in princes and a son of man whom there's no salvation. Joseph didn't do this. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, referring to Joseph's father, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that's in it, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, and I love this, who gives food to the hungry, just as we've seen Joseph do in the land. It's amazing. So whether it's the people in this time of famine, Jacob in his final days, Joseph over the past 35 years, or it's you and I as we sit here today, here's the big idea for us. That in our greatest time of need, Jesus meets us with even greater kindness. But here's what we need to know is that this kindness came with great cost. Earlier in the passage, Joseph tells the people, today I have bought you. If you think about 1 Corinthians 6, what does it say? We have been bought with a price. And for us, this price is Jesus himself, his kindness. In his kindness, Jesus stepped away from his throne and he took on flesh. In his kindness, Jesus was born in humility to be a savior for all people, not just a certain type of people. In his kindness, Jesus stopped and listened to the broken, the rejected, the outcast, those who nobody else wanted to listen to, In his kindness, Jesus came not to condemn who others condemned, but to save those who no one else would take the time to even want to save. In his kindness, he takes the beating that we should take. In his kindness, he endures the pain intended for us. In his kindness, he takes the long walk to the cross that he didn't deserve. In his kindness, he takes the nails that were reserved for us. In his kindness, he bears the weight of our sin, this crushing weight. In his kindness, he completely finishes this work. And now in his kindness, he welcomes the boy and the girl, the man and the woman of every background, with every type of baggage. They will accept his kindness. He welcomes them into the family. In his kindness, he gives the orphan a forever home in the kingdom. Justice is getting what we deserve. Mercy is getting what we don't. Mercy is not getting what we deserve, and grace is getting what we don't deserve. In his kindness, by grace, Jesus has met our greatest need. And now, for every man, woman, and child who places their hope in him, he gives you back. Your dignity. He gives you back your identity. He gives you back your hope. He gives you back your life. His kindness is just this good. In his kindness. So, what do we do with this? How do we respond to this good news? Here's a few ways. First, what do you need to take to Jesus? And don't simply simplify his kindness to only salvation all of life. What are some needs that you need to lay down that you need to take off your shoulders and hand to him? What do you need to give to him that he would be the first place you go, not the last? That you would stop running to places that simply disappoint because you were made for more. He's the more that you were made for. Secondly, where do you need to show gratitude for the kindness in your life to step back and think about where he's been faithful, where he's been true, that would lead you to continually and continue to trust in him with your life, with your family, with your relationships, with all of it. Lastly, what does it look like to show Christ-like kindness to others? This is a big one. 
What I've realized is that kindness often begins with listening. Joseph listens to the people, their cries. Joseph listens to his dad. Jesus, in all of his ministry, he stops and listens to those who others didn't have time for, to the rejected, to the blind, to the woman at the well, listening. What would it look like to take that out and to put that into action? And then to do what you can, where you can, even if it's a small action, it's meaningful, it's transformative. I love this because kindness, <laughs> it changes everything. It's an outflowing of the grace that we've been shown. If you want to see your neighborhood, students, if you want to see your college that you're about to head to transformed, if you want to see a city transformed, if you want to see a family transformed, if you want to see a workplace transformed, start showing Christ-like kindness. Kindness that listens, that sacrifices to say, I will be inconvenient so I can make sure that your need is met. Kindness is rooted in the gospel, in the character of God, of Jesus this kindness that draws us in, this kindness that leads us back. It's one of the most underestimated, culturally overlooked actions the church can press into for the cause of the kingdom in a cruel and a hateful world. Kindness. I hope that as we walk through this passage today that you see this really clearly, that Jesus is the better Joseph and that we can draw near to him and receive his kindness. The people were almost dead due to the famine, and Joseph interceded. We were completely dead in our sin, and Jesus interceded. The people have to pay 20% moving forward to cover their debt. In Jesus, we pay zero because the work is completely finished and he covered all of it. Through Joseph, the people's lives are saved in the here and now. Through Jesus, we are eternally saved in the here and now and in the life to come. Joseph shows kindness to the people, but not at great personal cost. Jesus shows kindness to us at the expense of his very life. Joseph honors his father by promising to take him back home. Jesus honors his father by making a way for us to come back home. Jesus is the better Joseph. Take all your needs there. Your needs of today, your needs of tomorrow. He can be trusted with all of it. In our greatest time of need, Jesus meets us, and he will continue to meet us with even greater kindness. Jesus, thank you for your word, and thank you for being this God. We deserved to be rejected. We deserved to be condemned. We deserved, God, your wrath. And yet, Jesus, you made a way through your very life. If anyone in here doesn't have a relationship with you, Jesus, would you draw them to you today? Would they lay down their sin? Would they hand it to you? Would they receive your grace? Maybe there's been a distortion in understanding. They thought you'd want nothing to do with them. Would you show them today that you want to welcome them home? For the rest of us, would we lay things down today? Would we stop being so self-reliant? Would we stop running to other things? Would we stop trying to numb the pain? Would we hand it to you? Would we show gratitude continually for the kindness you've shown us? And may it be a testimony to why we should trust you as we move forward. And would we take this kindness as a church into the streets, into our neighborhoods, throughout this city, for your honor, for your glory, for the expansion of the kingdom. Jesus, we pray this in your name. Amen.